Welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through challenges and elevate voices across William & Mary's campus. I'm Lindsay Hex. And I'm Daria Moody. And today we're joined by Dr. Kelly Crace, who's the Associate VP for Health and Wellness. He's been hosting some workshops with the Counseling Center, and today we're going to be talking about one of them that really rethinks the concepts of trust and compassion. Kelly, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be back. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. So lately, the Counseling Center has been hosting a series of supportive workshop series, one of which is yours, um, the chronic too muchness. Tell us about this. What is chronic too muchness? It's really kind of honoring the period of time we're in, often during this time of the semester. We, we not only live in a relentless world of kind of pace and change, and noise and pressure, but there seems to be kind of this time of the semester, a lot of things add up and we get committed at the beginning of the semester to things that are important to us. And we find ourselves sometimes feeling ourselves overcommitted. And we get into this place where we just chronically feel like the demands are exceeding the resources. Part of the reason we do that is because we care so much about things. And so when there are opportunities to act on that, it's just natural to say yes to all of them. But it can leave us in this time where we feel like we're just in this chronic state of managing too much. And that's when it moves from stress to strain. And that's why we need to pay attention to what do we do about that when we find ourselves in this place of chronic too muchness. And what is the difference between stress when you start to transition into that place of strain? What's the difference between the two? It's kind of the difference between challenged and overwhelmed. You know, stress is a actually a good thing because stress is a function of caring. So we want you engaged in things that matter to you, which means anything that we're engaged with that matters to us, there's some uncertainty to that. And that's what causes us stress. That's challenge that can be very healthy if we learn how to manage that stress in a healthy way. But whenever it moves from challenged to overwhelmed, we start to doubt that we can do this. We start to move into a place of unbelief about our own selves, our capacity to manage it or to be able to get it done in the way that we want it to be. And that's what moves us into this place of strain, which is unsustainable over a long period of time. Over time, our system will start to have consequences from that, either mentally or emotionally or physically. It impacts our immune system. And so we have to pay attention to that and do some thoughtful things and mindfully do some intentional things to help with that. Yeah. And I think that is something that we see the patterns of that happening every semester. Do you feel like this semester in particular, there's any differences of people more easily falling into that place of strain? I do. It's more anecdotally, but Mm -hmm. I've heard from so many of my colleagues here, and I've experienced it too, um, the number of issues that students have brought to the Wellness Center in terms of what brings them to the Wellness Center, what is challenging them, what is straining them. It seems to be a lot around this issue um, because this is this does feel different, and a large part of it is based on expectations too. You know, last fall, everyone came in kind of with the expectation that I don't know how this is going to work out and I know it's going to be hard. And we came in with that expectation. And I think people came in this semester with a different set of expectations, a hope that maybe we were moving out of this and maybe this would be less hard and maybe this would feel more like the college experience Mm -hmm. I hoped that I would have. And when it hasn't turned out that way, we feel that more deeply. And I just think uh, collectively we are still working through the anxieties and the uncertainties of all the things that are impacting us in our world right now. And it causes us to question and doubt our ability to manage it. I don't know of anyone over the past year that hasn't had a period of time where they haven't felt overwhelmed by their natural coping resources and strategies and feeling like, 
I've got to do something different here. Fortunately, we're getting a lot of students, faculty, and staff coming here to say, what can I do differently, which is just a wonderful opening for us to engage with them. So being overwhelmed is a pretty uncomfortable place to be. What can you do if you find yourself in that position? Yeah, it's it's a great question, Daria, because that's really kind of the heart of today's topic of kind of rethinking trust and compassion. Um, as you know, my, my background in research is in flourishing and trying to understand what causes flourishing and what can you do about it. And we learn that flourishing is not a feeling. It's a mindset. There are no natural-born flourishers. People that flourish work at it. And we know they work at it by being very intentional about creating a mindset. When we look at what disrupts flourishing, what gets in the way of flourishing, it's often this aspect of unmanaged fear and chronic self-critical evaluation to where you're constantly evaluating yourself at the end of the day. You're kind of replaying the day, and you never replay that day neutrally. You always end the, and punctuate that replay in some kind of judgment, which then causes us to feel like, okay, tomorrow I have to make up for that. So we develop this very perfectionistic plan for tomorrow that easily overwhelms us tomorrow when we wake up and try to engage in that. And if we're constantly managing fear around the uncertainty around our lives, that can really disrupt um, just our ability to flourish, but it leaves us in this place of feeling overwhelmed. What we've learned is that people that flourish disrupt that normal human cycle by being able to focus on trust and compassion, but they define it differently. They go through this paradigm shift of thinking differently about trust and compassion that is different than kind of the social norm of how we normally think about trust and compassion. What are some of those differences in their definition? Yeah, so if we take a look back and think, how do we kind of normally think about it. One, it's very culturally derived and culturally influenced. So depending on the culture you come from or the familial culture that you were raised in, trust and compassion can be talked about in a variety of ways. But very typically, if we look at just kind of human nature, people often think of trust as this concept of, oh, I just believe everything will be okay. I just think everything will be okay. And in many ways, that's a very good perspective because of what it reminds you of is that one, not one data point, not one life experience can really have a profound impact on our life unless you give it that power. So a grade on a test is not going to determine the next 50 years of my life, even though at times in that moment, it can feel like it. But what that does also psychologically is it can unintentionally set us up to where while that helps me understand it from a life perspective, it doesn't necessarily help me in the moment. Because when if I tell myself, don't worry, everything will be okay, there'll be this other little nagging whisper in the back of your mind that will say, how do you know? How do you know this is going to be okay? And that, that creates a conflict, a struggle. It also can have the unintentional impact of us causing us to be kind of passive motivationally. That if we kind of take this approach of, oh, I just have faith everything will be okay, that can sometimes unintentionally cause us to not step into hard, challenging things that feel uncomfortable. We just kind of sit back and hope that everything will be okay. And so that gets in the way. And what we found is that people that flourish very intentionally shift their definition of trust to basically mean three things. That one, I trust that I know what matters to me right now. In other words, they have a very clear idea of their values and purpose and meaning to life. And they do that work to clarify that. And then they say, I trust what, that I know what these values look like in action in a healthy way. I know what these values look like healthy. 
And then the third component is I trust that when it's hard and hurtful and unfair, I know how to take care of myself in a healthy way. So first, they do that work. They don't just, our body doesn't respond to mind games. Our body will respond to truth, but not us trying to trick ourselves. And so what they do is they do that work of, well, what it does matter to me right now? What is purposeful? What is meaningful? And what does that look like when it's healthy, when it's in action? How, how would no, someone know this matters to me just by watching my behavior or seeing me act? And then they develop the healthy self-care strategies that reminds them that when it's hard and hurtful and scary, I know how to take care of myself. That's really a part of the Authentic Excellence Initiative and a lot of the work around the Center for Mindfulness and Authentic Excellence is to help individuals clarify that and understand what matters to me right now, what does it look like healthy, and how do I take care of myself when it's hard. That's actually the deepest form of trust. And the reason why that's so powerful is trust is what overrides fear. And so it disrupts that cycle of being led with fear, being led by fear. It doesn't eclipse fear. It doesn't eliminate fear. Fear is there. We're just holding it well by focusing more on a deeper level of trust. So if you find yourself caught up in this cycle of self-critical evaluation, what are some of those obstacles that can prevent you from getting back to that place to stop choosing to live in that fear-based mode? Yeah, that's really where the issue of compassion comes in. It's trust can help override fear. But what do we do with this chronic evaluation? Um, because it's just so natural. It's such a human thing for us to constantly evaluate ourselves. And part of that is because we are being value-centered. So the more value-centered you are, the more you are creating a lens of how do I see myself through this lens of values. And so we will evaluate ourselves according to that. We'll also evaluate others according to that. So it's just so natural to get into this line of chronic self-evaluation of how am I doing? How am I doing compared to yesterday? How am I, compared, how am I doing compared to you, compared to me? And it becomes this just chronic level. In fact, we found it's one of the leading causes of insomnia to where you quiet the body at the end of the mind, the mind turns on and starts doing this replay. There's a difference between analysis and evaluation. Analysis is an honest intent to learn. Evaluation is very personal. Good, bad, success, failure. And so if this is just a natural thing that we do, how do we disrupt that in some way? And we learn that people that flourish very mindfully focus on compassion to disrupt this chronic self-evaluation. But they define compassion differently. We often think of compassion as, oh, I just love everybody, or I have positive regard for everybody, including myself, when actually what they focus on is, and the reason why that doesn't completely work that way is it's still causing us to be very emotion-centered and feeling-centered. So what if I do if I'm not feeling good up towards you? What if I'm not feeling good toward me? What if I feel a sense of shame? So then I, that's another thing for me to evaluate. Not only am I evaluating myself, but I'm failing at being compassionate too, because I am feeling frustrated with myself or with others, or I'm feeling ashamed. How do we disrupt that? And it's essentially by changing the definition of compassion to basically be about a commitment to active curiosity, because active curiosity is the skill that builds empathy. And empathy is what develops and nurtures compassion. But it's not only for compassion for others, but compassion with self. The actual definition, the, the original root definition of compassion means with suffering. 
So if I'm being compassionate with you, that means I'm with you amidst suffering. But the same thing has to happen with ourselves. We as a William Mary community, I feel like so many of our students and faculty and staff, they're very good at being compassionate to others. They're not that great at being self-compassionate. They, they are the harshest on themselves. They will say things to themselves that they would never say to another individual. How do we disrupt that? And it's basically moving from this evaluative place to this place of intentional wonder, that it's an intentional curiosity and wonder. To where at the end of the day, I can sit there and say, well, I just totally led with fear today. I just controlled and avoided my way throughout the end of the day. And at the end of the day, instead of saying idiot for doing that or judging myself, we say, what about today made me vulnerable to doing that? And what can I learn from that today that may help me for tomorrow? So it's staying in this place of training ourselves because it's not natural. We have to intentionally move to this place of being curious and entering every day with a sense of wonder. And the great thing about that is it, do, it doesn't make us less accountable to our actions. It actually makes us more accountable to our actions because we can do so with wonder And we're less threatened by it. We're less threatened by sitting there and judging ourselves. We can analyze ourselves and assess ourselves through a lens of empathy, through a lens of self-compassion. How do you start to incorporate that sense of analysis, reflection, and as a habit that occurs daily? It really, when when we looked at people that did this really well, they are just committed to mindfully doing it for the rightness of it, regardless of how they feel. So they don't wait to feel that. They commit to it because they know that it leads to, it leads to a deeper level of being. When we're overwhelmed and managing chronic too muchness, we get into this rhythm and pattern of living at our neurology. And what I mean by that, and we've talked about this before, but living at our neurology means our body is wired for crisis and regulation. And we can drift into this pattern of just living that way according to have-tos and comfort, to where every day is just about the urgent have-tos of the day and then comfort. And while that's good... We are a purposeful relational species. We must move beyond our neurology to really flourish. The commitment, the mindful commitment to developing a deeper level of trust and a different way of thinking about compassion through active self-curiosity really kind of moves us to that deeper level of purpose and relational purpose. So it's not just enough for me to act with my purpose, but it's important for me to know how does my purpose impact you? And how does your purpose impact me? And what's that like in terms of our interaction with each other? That kind of commitment, and they do it from a standpoint of just saying, I know this is right for me, and so I'm going to commit to it for the rightness of it, not because I'm feeling it. And what that results in is it allows a person to be values-led while emotional, while thoughtful. We want to honor people's full emotional experience and their full ability to think about their emotions in a deep way. And we want them to lead with values, which allows them to do that. Otherwise, if I'm constantly pursuing calm, then if I'm feeling bad, my whole motivation is, what do I need to do to feel better? What do I need to do to find calm, either through control or avoidance? And that's what gets in the way of us flourishing. Yeah, and we talked about that in Meaning Over Mood, I believe, in one of our previous podcasts, and how easy it is to fall into that sense of feeling and be just completely guided by that. Yeah. So Kelly, what are some other resources that people can access on campus um, for more information about connecting with their values and and leading with the sense of purpose? So 
there's a lot of resources on campus because I believe at some level, whenever people step into self-care or purposeful behavior, whether it's a part of our wellness services or not, they are nurturing that part of a deeper level of trust and compassion. They are leading with the sense of purpose. Here is a time where we c- individuals that kind of come through and say, I, I don't really know what my values are, or I don't know what my relationship with, is with my values. We have an instrument that we developed that's an open educational resource for everyone that's empirically derived. It's research-based. It's called the Life Values Inventory. And it's not a values clarification tool. It's basically an assessment that's designed to give you a snapshot of your current relationship with your values. So it gets you to start thinking relationally with your values which moves into this deeper level of trust. But all of the different departments that are a part of health and wellness and the different programs and services such as CMAX, the Center for Mindfulness and Authentic Excellence, and all of the departments are really geared toward what this is doing, is building a greater sense of trust and compassion with an individual, not only toward themselves, but toward others. And so it really depends on what speaks to you. Uh, We encourage people to go on the William Mary Wellness app and look for programs and services and resources that speak to them and then engage in them, but do so in a reciprocal manner to where you can tell them with who you're meeting with, you know, I want to develop a deeper level of trust. I want to develop a deeper level of compassion and engage in that with them through whatever modality feels best for them. With CMAX, we can do that. You can do that online. You can do that individually, one-on-one. You can do it in groups and workshops. We even have courses that are designed to help with that process. The real power of all of this, Lindsay and Daria, is... What happens when you are at this deeper level of trust and compassion? And a couple of things happen that, that is, demonstrates the power of it. Is one, when we are at a deeper level of trust and compassion, you move from this evaluative mindset to more of an expressive mindset. And an expressive mindset is when I'm giving more worth and sense of identity to the engagement and expression of what matters to me than what happens from that. So I'm giving more value to the engagement of what I'm doing rather than the experience or outcome that comes from that. Both matter. Expression has to matter more. And the cool thing about it is when you're in an expressive mindset, that's actually what you're in when you're in flow. The flow state is a place where you are in an expressive mindset, which is our deeper level, deepest level of productivity, fulfillment, and resilience. And the second real cool byproduct of all of this is that it leads to a process to where you are able to more clarify and distinguish preferences and healthy versus unhealthy expectations. So preferences are wants. And when we prefer something, we're not fully committed to it. It's safe, but we're not fully committed to it. But what can often often happen with chronic too muchness is we move into this place of expectation. And expectation can turn into a need. I expect this grade on this test. I expect the semester to be like this. And it can move into a need to where it's not just expecting, it's I need this to happen. When you are more value-centered, it keeps expectations in a healthy perspective. There is a should there. You know, I ma- this matters to me, so I want to. I should motivate myself toward this, but that's a healthy should. It's an engagement with your values. When fear causes values to drift into a need, those expectations become toxic, and that's what moves us from stress to strain. A healthy percept- perspective of, of expectations that are value-centered is stressful. But an unhealthy expectation that's based on need is straining. And so that's the byproduct of all of this. If, if I could share just one brief 
metaphor that I love that a dear colleague of mine, Gary Glass, he uses this metaphor a lot. And I've, I've asked for me to borrow, I've asked to borrow that from him and he's always been gracious with that. But it's imagining this metaphor of, let's imagine that we're all heading toward this one town and the name of this town is called Control. And if you were to turn around and go completely in the opposite direction to a town that's opposite of Control, what's the name of that town? And most people will say the opposite of Control is Chaos. So the name of that town is Chaos. Actually, the name of that town, the opposite of Control, is actually Trust. The problem is to get to that town of trust, you've got to go through another little town, and that's the town of vulnerability. And that's, that doesn't feel too good. But to get to that deeper level of trust, we do have to be vulnerable to be able to be open-minded and open-hearted to know what we care about, what our relationship is with our values, what healthy self-care looks like. That's hard. And so often we just turn around and go back toward control or we try to drive around vulnerability to get to trust without vulnerability and it doesn't work or we just pull off the side of the road and stop. This kind of process is what moves us through this town of vulnerability to a deeper level of trust. And that's really the goal of what we're trying to do. And it seems like vulnerability and um, control are both hard stops, but really what is the difficult path that you're going to take and why not take that harder look that's going to ultimately end you in that place where you're finding that sense of flow and living with that mindful intentionality as well. That's right. It's clarifying that sense of purpose and breathing and growing through that. Essentially, the transformation we're working on is taking people from being emotion-centered and habit-focused, which is where we normally go, being emotion-centered and habit-focused to being value-centered and healthy-focused. That's the transition we're trying to move people through. And that's hard. But that's what courage is, is doing hard things that are right. That's actually what courage is. And we all have that capacity for courage. But we need to do it in support of each other. We can step into more courageous actions actions when we're there with each other and supporting each other through it. That's what compassion is. Mm-hmm. Kelly, thanks so much for being here with us today. Yeah, it's a privilege and an honor to spend time with you. Thanks so much. Thank you to our sponsor, United Healthcare, for the support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Eric Garrison, Lindsay Heck, Colin Cross, Jenny Helmendaller, Ben Heath, and me, Dari Moody.